Chapter Sixty of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter Sixty: The Dangers Thicken and the Worst is Told. Instead of going home, Ralph threw himself into the first street cabriolet he could find and directing the driver towards the police office of the district in which mr squeer's misfortunes had occurred alighted at a short distance from it and discharging the man went the rest of the way thither on foot inquiring for the object of his solicitude he learnt that he had timed his visit well for mr squeer's was in fact at that moment waiting for a hackney coach he had ordered and in which he proposed proceeding to his week's retirement like a gentleman Demanding speech with the prisoner, he was ushered into a kind of waiting-room in which, by reason of his scholastic profession and superior respectability, Mr. Squeers had been permitted to pass the day. Here, by the light of a guttering and blackened candle, he could barely discern the schoolmaster. Fast asleep on a bench in a remote corner, an empty glass stood on a table before him, which, with his somnolent condition and a very strong smell of brandy and water, forewarned the visitor that mr squeers had been seeking in creature comforts a temporary forgetfulness of his unpleasant situation it was not a very easy matter to rouse him so lethargic and heavy were his slumbers regaining his faculties by slow and faint glimmerings he at length sat upright and displaying a very yellow face a very red nose and a very bristly beard the joint effect of which was considerably heightened by a dirty white handkerchief spotted with blood drawn over the crown of his head and tied under his chin stared ruefully at ralph in silence until his feelings were found a vent in this pithy sentence ah say young fellow you've been and done it now you have what's the matter with your head asked ralph why your man your informing kidnapping man has been and broke it rejoined squeers sulkily that's what's the matter with it you've come at last have you why have you not sent to me said ralph how could i come till i knew what had befallen you my family hiccuped squeers raising his eye to the ceiling my daughter is at that age when all sensibilities is a coming out strong in blow my son as is the young novel of private life and the pride and ornament of a doting village is a shock for my family the coat of arms of the squeers is his tour and the sun is gone down into the ocean wave you have been drinking said ralph and have not yet slept yourself sober i haven't been drinking your health mark codger replied mr squeers so you have nothing to do with that ralph suppressed the indignation which the schoolmaster's altered and insolent manner awakened and asked again why he had not sent to him what should i get by sending to you returned squeers to be known to be in with you wouldn't do me a deal of good and they won't take bail until they know something more of the case so here i am ardent fast and there are you loose and comfortable and so must you be in a few days retorted ralph with affected good humour they can't hurt you man why i suppose they can't do much to me if i explain how it was that i got into the good company of that there cadaverous old slider replied squeers viciously who i wish was dead and buried and resurrected and dissected and hung upon wires in an anatomical museum before i'd ever had anything to do with her this is what him with a powdered head says this morning in so many words prisoner as you have been found in company with this woman 
as you were detected in possession of this document as you were engaged with her in fraudulently destroying others and can give no satisfactory account of yourself i shall remand you for a week in order that inquiries might be made and evidence got and meanwhile i can't take any bail for your appearance well then what i say now is that i can give a satisfactory account of myself i can hand in the card of my establishment and say i am the wackford squeers that is therein named sir i am the man as is guaranteed by unimpeachable references to be an out-and-outer in morals and uprightness of principle whatever is wrong in this business is no fault of mine i had no evil design in it sir i was not aware that anything was wrong i was merely employed by a friend my friend mr ralph nickleby of golden square send for him sir and ask him what he has to say he's the man not me what document was it that you had asked ralph's evading for the moment the point just raised what document why the document replied squares the madeline what's her name one it was a will that's what it was of what nature whose will when dated how benefiting her to what extent asked ralph hurriedly a will in her favour that's all i know rejoined squares and that's more than you'd have known if you'd had them bellows on your head it's all owing to your precious caution that they got hold of it if you'd let me burn it and taken my word that it was gone it would have been a heap of ashes behind the fire instead of being a hole and sound inside of my grit or <sighs> beaten at every point muttered ralph ah sighed squeers who between the brandy and water and his broken head wandered strangely at the delightful village of dotheboys near greeter bridge in yorkshire youth are boarded clothed booked washed furnished with pocket-money provided with all necessaries instructed in all languages living and dead mathematics orthography geometry astronomy trigonometry this is an altered state of trigonometrics this is a double all everything a cobbler's weapon up up adjective not down s q u double e r s squares noun substantive educator of youth turtle all up with squares his running on in this way had afforded ralph an opportunity of recovering his presence of mind which at once suggested to him the necessity of removing as far as possible the schoolmaster's misgivings and leading him to believe that his safety and best policy lay in the preservation of a rigid silence i will tell you once again he said they can't hurt you you shall have an action for false imprisonment and make a profit of this yet we will devise a story for you that should carry you through twenty times such a trivial scrape as this and if they want security and a thousand pounds for your reappearance in case you should be called upon you shall have it all you have to do is to keep back the truth you're a little fuddled to-night and may not be able to see this as clearly as you would at another time but this is what you must do and you'll need all your senses about you for a slip might be awkward oh said squeers who had looked cunningly at him with his head stuck on one side like an old raven that's what i'm to do is it now then you just hear a word or two from me i ain't a going to have any stories made for me i ain't a going to stick to any if i find matters going again me i shall expect you to take your share and i'll take care you do you never said anything about danger i never bargained for being brought in such a plight as this and i don't mean to take it as quiet as you think i let you lead me on from one thing to another because we had been mixed up together in a certain sort of a way and if you'd liked it to be ill-natured you might perhaps have hurt the business and if you liked to be good-natured you might throw a good deal in my way well if it all goes right now that's quite correct and i don't mind it but if anything goes wrong then times are altered 
and i shall just say and do whatever i think may serve me most and take advice from nobody my moral influence with them lads added squeers with a deeper gravity is tottering to its bases the images of mrs squeers my daughter and my son wackford all short of whittles is perpetually before me every other consideration melts away and vanishes in front of these the only number in all arithmetic that i know of as a husband and a father is number one under this ere most fatal go how long mr squeers might have declaimed or how stormy a discussion his declamation might have led to nobody knows being interrupted at this point by the arrival of the coach and an attendant who was to bear him company he perched his hat with great dignity on the top of the handkerchief that bound his head and thrusting one hand in his pocket and taking the attendant's arm with the other suffered himself to be led forth as i suppose from his not sending thought ralph this fellow i plainly see through all his tipsy fooling has made up his mind to turn upon me i am so beset and hemmed in that they are not only all struck with fear but like beasts in the fable have their fling at me now though time was and no longer ago than yesterday too when they were all civility and compliance but they shall not move me i'll not give way i'll not budge one inch he went home and was glad to find his housekeeper complaining of illness that he might have an excuse for being alone and sending her away to where she lived which was hard by then he sat down by the light of a single candle and began to think for the first time on all that had taken place that day he had neither eaten nor drunk since last night and in addition to the anxiety of mind he had undergone had been travelling about from place to place almost incessantly for many hours he felt sick and exhausted but could taste nothing save a glass of water and continued to sit with his head upon his hand not resting nor thinking but laboriously trying to do both and feeling that every sense but one of weariness and desolation was for the time benumbed it was nearly ten o'clock when he heard a knocking at the door and still sat quiet as before as if he could not even bring his thoughts to bear upon that it had been often repeated and he had several times heard a voice outside saying there was a light in the window meaning as he knew his own candle before he could rouse himself up and go downstairs mr nickleby there is terrible news for you i am sent to beg you will you come with me directly said a voice he seemed to recognize he held his hand above his eyes and looking out saw tim linkinwater on the steps come where demanded ralph to our house where you came this morning i have a coach here why should i go there said ralph don't ask me why but pray come with me another edition of to-day returned ralph making as though he would shut the door no no cried tim catching him by the arm and speaking most earnestly it is only that you may hear something that has occurred something very dreadful mr nickleby which concerns you nearly do you think i would tell you so or come to you like this if it were not the case ralph looked at him more closely seeing that he was indeed greatly excited he faltered and could not tell what to say or think you had better hear this now than at any other time said tim it may have some influence with you for heaven's sake come perhaps at another time ralph's obstinacy and dislike would have been proof against any appeal from such a quarter however emphatically urged but now after a moment's hesitation he went into the hall for his hat and returning got into the coach without speaking a word tim well remembered afterwards and often said that as ralph nickleby went into the house for this purpose 
he saw him by the light of the candle which he had set down upon a chair reel and stagger like a drunken man he well remembered too that when he had placed his foot upon the coach steps he turned round and looked upon him with a face so ashy pale and so very wild and vacant that it made him shudder and for the moment almost afraid to follow people were fond of saying that he had some dark presentiment upon him then but his emotion might perhaps with greater show of reason be referred to what he had undergone that day a profound silence was observed during the ride arrived at their place of destination ralph followed his conductor into the house and into a room where the two brothers were he was so astounded not to say awed by something of a mute compassion for himself which was visible in their manner and in that of the old clerk that he could scarcely speak having taken a seat however he contrived to say though in broken words what what have you to say to me morn's been said already the room was old and large very imperfectly lighted and terminated in a bay window about which hung some heavy drapery casting his eyes in this direction as he spoke he thought he made out the dusky figure of a man he was confirmed in this impression by seeing that the object moved as if uneasy under his scrutiny who's that yonder he said one who has conveyed to us within these two hours the intelligence which caused our sending to you replied brother charles let him be sir let him be for the present more riddles said ralph faintly well sir in turning his face towards the brothers he was obliged to avert it from the window but before either of them could speak he looked round again it was evident that he was rendered restless and uncomfortable by the presence of the unseen person for he repeated this action several times and at length as if in a nervous state which rendered him positively unable to turn away from the place it sat so as to have it opposite him muttering as an excuse that he could not bear the light the brothers conferred apart for a short time their manner showing that they were agitated ralph glanced at them twice or thrice and ultimately said with a great effort to recover his self-possession now what is this if i am brought from home at this time of night let it be for something what have you got to tell me after a short pause he added is my niece dead he had struck upon a key which rendered the task of commencement an easier one brother charles turned and said that it was a death of which they had to tell him but that his niece was well you don't mean to tell me said ralph as his eyes brightened that her brother's dead no that's too good i'll not believe it if you told me so it would be too welcome news to be true shame on you you hardened and unnatural man cried the other brother warmly prepare yourself for an intelligence which if you have any human feeling in your breast will make even you shrink and tremble what if we tell you that a poor unfortunate boy a child in everything but never having known one of those tender endearments or one of those lightsome hours which make our childhood a time to be remembered like a happy dream through all our after-life a warm-hearted harmless affectionate creature who never offended you or did you wrong but on whom you have vented the malice and hatred you have conceived for your nephew and whom you have made an instrument for wreaking your bad passions upon him what if we tell you that sinking under your persecution sir and in the misery and ill-usage of a short life in years but long in suffering this poor creature has gone to tell his sad tale where for your part in it you must surely answer if you tell me said ralph if you tell me that he is dead i forgive you all else if you tell me that he is dead i am in your debt and bound to you for life he is i see it in your faces who triumphs now is that your dreadful news 
Is that your terrible intelligence? You see how it moves me? You did well to send. I would have travelled a hundred miles afoot through mud, mire, and darkness to hear this news just at this time. Even then, moved as he was by this savage joy, Ralph could see in the faces of the two brothers, mingling with their look of disgust and horror, something of that indefinable compassion for himself which he had noticed before. "'And he brought you the intelligence, did he?' said Ralph, pointing with his finger towards the recess already mentioned. "'And sat there, no doubt, to see me prostrated and overwhelmed by it. <laughs> but I tell him that. I'll be a sharp thorn in his side for many a long day to come. And I'll tell you two again, that you don't know him yet, and that you'll rue the day you took compassion on the vagabond.' "'You take me for your nephew,' said a hollow voice. "'It would be better for you and for me, too, if I were he indeed.' The figure that he had seen so dimly rose, and came slowly down. He started back, for he found that he confronted, not Nicholas, as he had supposed, but Brooker. Ralph had no reason that he knew of to fear this man. He had never feared him before, but the pallor which had been observed in his face when he issued forth that night come upon him again. He was seen to tremble, and his voice changed as he said, keeping his eyes upon him, "'What does this fellow here?' Do you know he's a convict, a felon, a common thief? Hear what he has to tell you, O oh, Mr. Nickleby, hear what he has to tell you, be what he may, cried the brothers with such emphatic earnestness that Ralph turned to them in wonder. They pointed to Brooker. Ralph again gazed at him, as it seemed, mechanically. That boy, said the man, that these gentlemen have been talking of. That boy, repeated Ralph, looking vacantly at him, whom I saw stretched dead and cold upon his bed, who is now in his grave, echoed Ralph, like one who talks in his sleep. The man raised his eyes and clasped his hands solemnly together. Was your only son, so help me God in heaven. In the midst of a dead silence, Ralph sat down, pressing his two hands upon his temples. He removed them after a minute, and never was there seen, part of a living man, undisfigured by any wound, such a ghastly face as he then disclosed. He looked at Brooker who was by this time standing at a short distance from him, but did not say one word, or make the slightest sound or gesture. "'Gentlemen,' said the man, "'I offer no excuses for myself. I'm long past that. If in telling you how this has happened, I tell you that I was harshly used, and perhaps driven out of my real nature. I do it only as a necessary part of my story, and not to shield myself. I am a guilty man.' He stopped, as if to recollect, and looking away from Ralph, and addressing himself to the brothers, proceeded in a subdued and humble tone. Among those who once had dealings with this man, gentlemen, that's from twenty to five-and-twenty years ago, there was one, a rough fox-hunting, hard-drinking gentleman, who had run through his own fortune and wanted to squander away that of his sister. They were both orphans, and she lived with him and managed his house. I don't know whether it was originally to back his influence and try to over-persuade the young woman or not, but he, pointing to Ralph, used to go down to the house in Leicestershire pretty often, and stop there many days at a time. They had a great many dealings together, and he may have gone on some of those or to patch up his client's affairs, which were in a ruinous state. Of course he went for profit. The gentlewoman was not a girl, but she was, I have heard say, handsome, and entitled to a pretty large property. In course of time he married her. The same love of gain which led him to contract this marriage led to it being strictly private, for a clause in her father's will declared that if she married 
without her brother's consent the property in which she had only some life interest while she remained single should pass away altogether to another branch of the family the brother would give no consent that the sister didn't buy and pay for handsomely mr nickleby would consent to no such sacrifice and so they went on keeping their marriage secret and waiting for him to break his neck or die of fever he did neither and meanwhile the result of this private marriage was a son the child was put out to nurse a long way off his mother never saw him but once or twice and then by stealth and his father so eagerly did he thirst after the money which seemed to come almost within his grasp now for his brother-in-law was very ill and breaking more and more every day never went near him to avoid raising any suspicion the brother lingered on mr nickleby's wife constantly urged him to avow their marriage he peremptorily refused she remained alone in a dull country house seeing little or no company but riotous drunken sportsmen he lived in london and clung to his business angry quarrels and recriminations took place and when they had been married nearly seven years and were within a few weeks of the time when the brother's death would have adjusted all she eloped with a younger man and left him here he paused but ralph did not stir and the brothers signed him to proceed it was then that i became acquainted with these circumstances from his own lips they were no secrets then for the brother and others knew them but they were communicated to me not on this account but because i was wanted he followed the fugitives some said to make money of his wife's shame but i believed to take some violent revenge for that was as much his character as the other perhaps more he didn't find them and she died not long after i don't know whether he began to think he might like the child or whether he wished to make sure that it should never fall into its mother's hands but before he went he entrusted me with the charge of bringing it home and i did so he went on from this point in a still more humble tone and spoke in a very low voice pointing to ralph as he resumed he had used me ill cruelly i reminded him in what not long ago when i met him in the street and i hated him i brought the child home to his own house and lodged him in the front garret neglect had made him very sickly and i was obliged to call in a doctor who said he must be removed for change of air or he would die i think that first put it in my head i did it then he was gone six weeks and when he came back i told him with every circumstance well planned and proved nobody could have suspected me that the child was dead and buried he might have been disappointed in some intention he had formed or he might have had some natural affection but he was grieved at that and i was confirmed in my design of opening up the secret one day and making it a means of getting money from him i had heard like most other men of yorkshire schools i took the child to one kept by a man named squeers and left it there i gave him the name of smike year by year i paid twenty pounds a year for him for six years never breathing the secret all the time for i had left his father's service after more hard usage and quarrelled with him again i was sent away from this country i had been away nearly eight years directly i came home i travelled down to yorkshire and skulking in the village of an evening time i made inquiries about the boys at the school and found that this one whom i had placed there had run away with a young man bearing the name of his own father i sought his father out in london and hinting at what i could tell him tried for a little money to support life but he repulsed me with threats i then found out his clerk 
and going on from little to little and showing him that there were good reasons for communicating with me learnt what was going on and it was i who told him that the boy was no son of the man who claimed to be his father all this time i had never seen the boy at length i heard from the same source that he was very ill and where he was i travelled down there that i might recall myself if possible to his recollection and confirm my story I came upon him unexpectedly but before i could speak he knew me he had good cause to remember me poor lad and i would have sworn to him if i had met him in the indies i knew the piteous face i had seen in the little child after a few days indecision i applied to the young gentleman in whose care he was and found that he was dead he knows how quickly he recognized me again how often he described me and my leaving him at the school and how he told him of a garret he recollect which is the one i have spoken of and in his father's house to this day this is my story i demand to be brought face to face with the schoolmaster and put to any possible proof any part of it and i will show that it's too true and that i have this guilt upon my soul unhappy man said the brothers what reparation can you make for this none gentlemen none i have none to make and nothing to hope now i am old in years and older still in misery and care this confession can bring nothing upon me but new suffering and punishment but i make it and will abide by it whatever comes i have been made the instrument of working out this dreadful retribution upon the head of a man who in the hot pursuit of his bad ends has persecuted and hunted down his own child to death it must descend upon me too i know it must fall my reparation comes too late and neither in this world or in the next can i have hope again he had hardly spoken when the lamp which stood upon the table close to where ralph was seated and which was the only one in the room was thrown to the ground and left them in darkness there was some trifling confusion in obtaining another and the interval was a mere nothing but when the light appeared ralph nickleby was gone the good brothers and tim linkinwater occupied some time in discussing the probability of his return and when it became apparent that he would not come back they hesitated whether or no to send after him at length remembering how strangely and silently he had sat in one immovable position during the interview and thinking he might possibly be ill they determined although it was now very late to send to his house on some pretence finding an excuse in the presence of brooker whom they knew not how to dispose of without consulting his wishes they concluded to act upon this resolution before going to bed End of chapter sixty